Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Phil at the Movies. I'm your host, Phil Walsh, and you're listening to episode number 52 of this ongoing podcast series that is for the love of movies. Episode number 52, also this week, dropped the first episode of, or episode at, if you will, of Let Me Fill You In, which is an extension of this show covering uh, more recent movies as well as any comments on movie news and developments on any big projects that catch my eye. So look for that in your in your podcast feed usually every Wednesday. Again, drop the first one this week and recommended three different movies uh, from three different genres for your uh, for your viewing pleasure. But on the main show, again, on some cases we'll cover some recent movies. Uh, you know, think Renfield in a couple of weeks, or Bo is Afraid, or The Flash. But again, going to try to use the uh, the main show to to cover a wide range of movies. For as I've said, this show is for the love of movies. Uh, so everything from box office hits to uh, critical darlings to the uh, infamous or or. Uh, uh, beloved cult classics, if you will. So all of the above with Phil at the movies. But as I've said from the start, I want to thank you as always for your support and for tuning in each week and hearing what I have to say on movies. Your uh, your friendship and connection just means the world to me. And as I said last week, and I, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, if you uh, tune into the show and you listen, I consider you uh, a friend. You are a friend of Phil at the movies. You're a friend uh, of me. So uh, definitely uh, definitely value and appreciate everyone who uh, takes the time to listen to this show. It's a passion project, but to have your engagement, your response, your encouragement has just made it all the more worthwhile. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. All right, you hear that sound. You know today is a special episode indeed. Uh, definitely a timely one, to say the least. And I thought in preparation, in anticipation for Renfield, which is premiering two weeks from today, two weeks is the big uh, debut of this long-awaited Nicolas Cage star, uh, starring film where he is playing Dracula. And it just looks to be a, a bloody good time and I will certainly be covering it in detail once the movie once the movie premieres. But I thought in lead up to the film, and given that it is a a sequel to Dracula, uh, the original 1931 classic starring Bela Lugosi, I thought it would be fun to revisit some of the Universal monster films. Really, the the films which have cemented our our pop culture understanding of gothic castles and and mad scientists and evil creatures lurking in the dark and all things that go bump in the night. So, beginning today and for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be doing some episodes that will be reviewing and revisiting many of the beloved and, as I said, classic Universal Monster films. So think Dracula, think Phantom of the Opera. I will certainly put Renfield in that category, given that it is a Universal project and is very steeped in the history of the Universal Monster films. But 
I thought today, what better what better way to start off and and revisit perhaps the ultimate monster film, or, or certainly the one that is the 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 gold standard and is definitely the the front runner, or perhaps the uh, the the figure that is largely associated with Universal monster movies, and that is of course I'm talking about. Frankenstein, yes, the original, the uh, the granddaddy, if you will, of horror films, the one that truly started it all, the one that has associated our public consciousness with gothic castles and rainy skies and all things that go bump in the night. The classic film, Frankenstein, starring uh, Colin Clive and, of course, Boris Karloff is the as the monster himself, and it's interesting looking back now because it certainly is a it's been a it's been steeped in our in our collective memory uh, whenever you mention the word or or the name Frankenstein people automatically assume um or or think of Boris Karloff's uh just sort of iconic and legendary portrayal of of the monster and certainly I think of the monster every time I I hear the name Frankenstein. It's just, it's it's synonymous with Universal. It's synonymous with horror movies, and and really our our love as a culture it goes back to this this particular film. I mean, it has to start somewhere, and certainly there had been horror movies. You certainly think of Nosferatu and a lot of the German expression films of the silent era, but Universal really created the the modern day monster culture, if you will, and it's largely attributed to Frankenstein. I mean, the fact of the matter is, the monster in Frankenstein, the sort of silent, hulking, stalking figure, I mean, that has carried through all the way to the present day. I I mean, I I would argue that without Karloff's monster and, and the impression that it made on our collective psyche on the on the, the zeitgeist of popular culture i don't think you would have jason Voorhees, freddy krueger certainly not michael myers i mean even though all these characters are are unique and and different in their own way and certainly hold their own everything i think goes all the way back to the original frankenstein movie and it's interesting because i was doing some research on this particular film and it was definitely a response to Dracula, which had premiered in February of 1931. Frankenstein came out later that year in November, so it was really kind of following on the coattails uh, of Dracula. But Dracula, interestingly enough, had received kind of lukewarm reception from from critics, and and you know, more so the praise was heralded towards Lugosi's performance as as Dracula. And and interestingly enough, there was some uh, you know question of whether or not Lugosi would play the monster in this film, but uh, his version of it was not what was what was originally uh, or ultimately conceived and, and presented on screen. So he decided not to to participate in it. But uh, interestingly enough, when Frankenstein premiered it was a sensation not only of course with audiences but with with critics and and many to this day have heralded it as one of the greatest horror movies ever made one of the greatest films ever made and i and i am certainly one of them i i would put this film 
as as one of the greats. And certainly when we're talking about horror films and, and certainly I mean by today's standards, Frankenstein is is tame. I mean it's it's almost you know, Bambi might be more unsettling than than, than Frankenstein. But you have to remember in nineteen thirty one Audiences weren't prepared for this sort of a, of a terrifying creature to be presented to them in such a, a unique way. And, and the makeup, I mean, Jack Pierce's transformation of, of, of Boris Karloff into the monster is stuff of movie magic. It's part of cinematic history. And, and you look at that performance, and that's something I really want to concentrate on, is the performance by Boris Karloff and why it has... I, I think stayed with us throughout all these years, and and I, you know, kind of will tie into some some thoughts I have on Dracula when I when I cover that in a future episode. But in, in terms of what Karloff was able to do by by taking a character who, in the first film, doesn't speak. I mean, it's often been been conv- uh, you know, blurred just because of the subsequent sequels, The Bride of Frankenstein and, and, and other other films that the monster spoke. Well, in the first film, the monster doesn't speak. I mean, there's some grunts and, and, and groans, but but he it's a, almost a silent, I mean, it is a silent performance, and it's more so in the in the subtleties and the mannerisms. And, and you figure that was a, a hell of a job, especially back then, you know, when you're trying to convey a character with, with with no dialogue and yet you have to be terrifying and on one hand somewhat sympathetic i mean the monster even though he he's terrifying to look at and does horrific things i mean the the, the creature the monster whatever you want to call it, it is really misunderstood and it's really almost a tragic story in a lot of ways and and that's something that I think differentiates uh, certainly what 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 Karloff was able to bring to the performance, and then subsequent actors who have played the monster or a variation of the monster were never able to replicate. Uh, Karloff was able to capture both the the sort of bizarre, uh, understated humanity of the creature, while also being just terrifying as hell. I mean, I can understand why people would be running from the theater, fainting in the theater, screaming because. Again, now, of course, we see horrific things uh, in movies all the time, and, and we're certainly numb to it in, in a lot of ways. But you have to think, 1931, almost 100 years ago, something like this, something of this magnitude was unlike anything that audiences had been used to. And certainly when you compare it to, to Dracula, even though they're very different movies and very different approaches, Frankenstein is in a lot of ways more horrific because a lot of what is shown on screen uh, it, it was was very unsettling for for audiences. I mean, you kind of think the Hayes Code, which started in, in the mid-1930s, uh, this sort of uh, production uh, you know, censorship that was uh, placed on a lot of films, particularly with horror films, to sort of dilute or, or remove any unsavory images or dialogue or, or, or sexual situations that might otherwise offend uh, the, the pure at heart or, 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 or moviegoers. Uh, but, I mean, you think back to, uh, to, to, to Frankenstein, it's, it, it's really uh, this, this twisted take on, on, on science and and you're watching someone who, who in the case of, of of Henry Frankenstein is 
wanting to play God, wanting to create life. And you can see why in you know, various states there were parts of this film that were taken out altogether. I was amazed that in both uh, Pennsylvania and in Massachusetts, the, the line that Frankenstein shouts out where he says, oh, now I know what it, it feels like to be God, or now I know that you know what it's like to, to be God, uh, that was taken out because audiences were not a used to hearing such lines in 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 a movies and, and certainly weren't prepared for that kind of a of a performance and, and subject matter so it's it's sort of fascinating I mean now we sort of laugh at it because it just seems so so silly but back then of course people were were losing their minds over over this type of of a situation I mean just say nothing of the fact that the monster in the movie ends up killing uh, a kid on you know doesn't necessarily show it all in graphic detail on on screen but I mean there were parts of this film that were were taken out and it was you know edited and chopped up and you know, depending on where you lived in the United States, you, you may not have seen the full version of this of this film, and and you know, fortunately, you know, the the the, the Hayes uh, Code was uh, disbanded and 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 fell uh, by the wayside as the years went on, and luckily, this film has been able to be seen in its entirety, and, and all these scenes that were taken out were were ultimately preserved and 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 shown in in future installments. But I think it it underscores just what a a firestorm of controversy this film happened to be at the time not only for the subject matter and the scene shown but by the fact that it was uh both terrifying and unsettling uh all at once and i think you know now i mean you know the only thing that really comes to mind in, in recent times is, is something like the movie Terrifier 2, uh, where, where audiences were supposedly you know, fainting or in, and in some cases vomiting or, or, or running out because they couldn't handle what was going on on screen. And, and we sort of laugh about it today, but I mean, this was a, this was the real deal back in 1931. Audiences were not prepared for this kind of a, kind of a movie, this kind of a story. And it, it doesn't, end with a with a twist it's not like this is a, a magic act or like how a lot of films had you know shown at the very end oh wink wink everything was all a joke or it was some exaggeration this movie is presented as, as a straightforward tale about one man's obsession to be god and and it is that man henry frankenstein who frankly he is he is the heart of this picture in a lot of ways and 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 Colin Clive who who plays him I you know I I love Peter Cushing he's certainly one of my my favorite actors he's great in a number of different horror films and I will certainly uh, talk more about him uh, when we uh, when we get to Dracula and the like yeah, I think he's the gold standard for Van Helsing but uh you know when it comes to when it comes to playing the the Frankenstein character to to someone who captured both sort of the the, the tragedy and, and the insanity uh, as well as the evil brilliance of the character no one has done it better in my opinion than, than Colin Clive it, it is a masterful performance and I mean you want to talk about someone who who should have and and frankly could have been nominated for for an academy award and i know i i always regret going down this road because then it just sort of singles out particular actors but his performance is truly incredible and it and it holds up i mean certainly later frankenstein 
films and a number of the sequels, it tended to get um, a little more cartoon-like, a little uh, a little more uh, soft around the the edges. This first film, and certainly The Bride of Frankenstein, I would put in the same category. But this original movie, it does not does not hold back. I mean, it is a a ride, and I can remember the first time I saw this film. I mean, I. I discovered the Universal monster movies when I was when I was in fourth grade, and that Christmas I had received a a whole collection of the movies, so think Frankenstein, Dracula, the, the like, and I just remember being mesmerized by by all of them, but but particularly this film because the whole setup in the castle with the laboratory and uh, Dwight Fry as as Fritz and uh, just the, the the banter and the interaction between Frankenstein and 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 those around him, and then of course the famous scene where 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 Frankenstein d- declares it's alive, it's alive. I mean it's it's what we now associate with these sort of mad scientist movies and all these sort of uh, gothic horror. Everything goes back to Frankenstein. I mean, the movie is, is, is dripping in the best possible way with atmosphere. And it just, it works. And, it, and it's seamless in a lot of ways. And I certainly get into this more when I cover Dracula. But the way in which this film is shot it's perfect dracula is a little stiff at various points and it makes it a little harder i think for 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 viewing purposes because it's not it's not necessarily what we associate i mean i still enjoy the film but when you when you put it side by side with frankenstein there is sort of a, a fluidity to the to the movements into the into the camera and 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 even though it's certainly a, an older film. It's a, you know, it is by no means dated. I mean, the effects in the movie are are magnificent, and the the performances hold up. And even though the the situation is absurd, and the and, and the and, and the plot can you know may seem over uh, the top at point, it, it it it's all played serious. It's all played uh, straightforward, and and it works because you're you're invested. In this story, you're following Henry Frankenstein on this this mad quest. I mean, he says he you know he's trying to be God. He's trying to to create life, and ultimately, he is successful in in creating his uh, his his monster, if you will. He's creating uh, 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 you know, bringing someone back to life, and yet it's it's ultimately this great tragedy because. Everything that he he wanted comes true, and it's the worst possible thing. I mean, he's opened Pandora's box in a way, and and now uh, all all you know all all loose. Everything is loose. All hell has broken loose, and it's really this just fascinating struggle as, as someone ultimately tries to, in a way, regain their humanity. I mean, that's sort of how I look at the film. I mean, you have on the one hand Frankenstein, who is you know, certainly, you know, pushing himself to the to the brink and ultimately is successful in his endeavor, but he loses a little bit of himself along the way. And at the same time, you know, discovery, you know, through what he has done, he has to ultimately reclaim, you know, what is important to him. He has to fight for what for what truly matters. And then on the other hand, you have the monster who, in many ways, is this perfect destroyer. I mean, I said it's, in a way, it's, a, you know, the monster is misunderstood, the monster is tragic, but at the same time, the monster is this, this 
this beast on on a an unstoppable killing machine in a way, and it's and it's wrecking everything in its path, and ultimately, you know, everything in in Henry's life, and it's it's sort of this clash of, of one person trying to to regain his humanity to save his, his his soul while the other the other thing on the other hand has no compassion no understanding it's just sort of destroying whatever comes into its way and i mean there's this fantastic moment i mean there's so many fantastic moments but the the ending to me is what i think always uh always stands up you have the end you have you have frankenstein confronting his monster. I mean, the monster has ruined everything. It's ruined his reputation. Nearly killed the woman that he, that he loves and, and plans to marry, and has become this pariah on the local village. And it's at this moment he has to face his demons. And I, going back to the humanity bit, it really is this this struggle for humanity. Where on the one hand, Henry's trying to to save himself to regain his humanity, and, and the monster will destroy everything and anything and anyone in, in its path. And it leads to this this really terrific conclusion where the monster and, and, and Henry sort of duke it out, if you will, in this old windmill. And it's after the monster has captured him. And, and then the local towns uh, people have gathered and they're sort of you know, planning to burn down the, 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 the windmill to, to trap the monster and just the, the the showdown of of Henry trying to, to to ward off the monster and this this the cinematography in this movie is as I've indicated is on a whole other level. I mean, the camera is never stiff; it it, it glides and it moves. And there's this shot where they're in the they're in the windmill up in the up in the tower. And on one hand you have the monster, and on the other hand you have Frankenstein, and they're 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 both staring. At each other, and they're separated by uh, the inner mechanics of the windmill, and so there's this barrier between them. And just the the moment, in many ways, feels what we might consider a, like a, a modern movie moment, where there's this this perfect tension, this perfect uh, confrontation between the, the hero and the villain, and you really see just through the performances, uh, just. Conclave uh, and 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 Karloff were were not holding anything back. They were they were unleashed in a lot of ways, and it and it's it's really it's really both terrifying and and, and sad at the same time because Frankenstein is able to to escape, uh, but the 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 townspeople set uh, set the the windmill on fire and and trap the monster inside, and it's really this. This horrific end because the monster is is there and and it's already been established that the monster is afraid of fire and to be trapped in this burning wind, uh, windmill it, it, it seems uh, strangely uh, and fittingly uh, ironic and 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 in a way perfect end for this this monster because ultimately it it meets its end I mean even though of course there's other films and and, and subsequent sequels for a a self-contained story. Uh, the movie really ends on a on a high note, and 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 you feel you feel satisfied because ultimately Frankenstein has been able to to confront 
his his monster and 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 reclaim what is important and you know, rediscover his humanity and, and the monster is defeated this sort of uh, bastardized version of a of a of a human life that that Frankenstein has created ultimately meets its end and and while it is it is tragic I, I did say it is it does seem fitting especially for the sake of the story because it it seems that the movie really is building towards that 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 moment I mean again from the very start of the film Frankenstein is presented as this arrogant and and self-assured individual and it's through the events of the film even through his greatest achievement that he is proven wrong and and full of hubris and and nearly meets his his end and again as I said I think it's through that acknowledgement that he has done wrong and ultimately created something that must be stopped that he rediscovers his humanity and and of course is uh, is saved but I mean it's it's just such a it's just such a spellbinding film and I think that that goes back to the way that it was the way it was conceived I mean I have read both of the uh, original uh, texts the original novels of Frankenstein and and Dracula and in the case of Frankenstein the the film bears very little uh, similarity to to the novel, and I think that is for the better. While the novel is a great piece of gothic fiction, and it, and it is an, a fascinating tale, the movie does what a lot of great adaptations do, which is to streamline a, a story and focus on the, impor- uh, the important elements and ultimately create something uh, that is all the more worthwhile and, and enjoyable. One of the big differences, of course, in the novel versus the movie is that the monster is is not what we associate with 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 the Frankenstein monster. It's it, the, he's much more uh, human like and much more uh, you know much more almost uh, like a like a Roman statue in a lot of ways. Very very much uh, a, a well constructed uh, being. And, and can actually speak and is articulate and very eloquent. That is not the case with with the Frankenstein monster, and I think that's a, a choice that was made uh, for the better because the, the the character that Karloff, in many ways, created and brought to life is what we associate with this particular monster. I mean, when you say Frankenstein, I mean. The name Frankenstein often gets interchanged with the actual monster uh, itself. But I mean, when you, when you mention the monster from 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 the movie, everyone immediately goes to the version that that Karloff played. I mean, the big hulking creature with the electrodes in the neck and the flat top and the scars and the green palish skin—it's all there. And, and I think from both a uh, a storytelling perspective as well as from you know, what would be what would be interesting to look at? This was the right choice to go, and it and it, you know, as I said, sort of instills what we assume, what we you know, what we believe to be these kind of movie monsters. It all goes back to to the Frankenstein version. It's all in this film. What we associate with 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 
bumps in the night and 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 horrific uh imagery i mean everything kind of stems from from here you know kind of on one hand you have dracula with the with the castles and the and the bats and the moonlight and and with frankenstein you have the mad scientist archetype you have the you have the laboratory you have the hunchback assistant i mean all of that stems from this original film and it's it, it really it's a testament to it and i i was amazed at how well the film has has held up because i hadn't watched it for a number of years until until recently and i was just you know first i was amazed you know and engaged with the story because it, it is it, it is fast paced the film is is just over an hour long, uh, which again shows you the difference uh, uh, in, in, in movie uh, storytelling today. But it, it, it's an amazing situation where, for, for being you know essentially seventy minutes in length, the movie is perfectly paced, and it never feels like it drags or goes too fast. Everything that is there that needs to be there is told, it's executed, and then moves on to the next thing. I mean, the big crux of the movie is of course the creation scene in the laboratory and i mean it just it's a visually uh, appealing to look at because i mean it's just it seems like we're we're right there all the the bubbling uh of beakers and, and the and the table and the electrodes and of course the you know the hunchback assistant fritz uh all of all of those key elements are there and yet we're we're drawn into this to this world. We're drawn into this story. And even though, of course, you know, some of the effects may may be you know dated by by today's standards, none of that matters. None of it matters because we're invested in the story. And I think that's why movies like this, I think, are universal and everlasting uh, because. A, everybody seemed to be committed to what they were doing. There was a real investment in both the story and, and, the, and the larger uh, effects and, and makeup. But in addition to that, you have the performances. And, and again, there's a lot of familiar faces from Universal Films. I mean, Edward Van Sloan and, and Dwight Fry. But it really goes back to, I think, uh, Colin Clive and, and Boris Karloff because they are... They are, in my eyes, the the epitome of of the Frankenstein and and, and monster characters. Uh, no one has been able to to top them, as far as I'm concerned. And I think it it goes back to you know they they set the standard. They are the ones that that created the modern day. Uh, have created this iconic imagery, and 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 everyone was firing on all cylinders from from the actors to 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 the great director. Uh, James Whale. I mean, it was just, it's, it's unforgettable. I think that's the biggest thing. It is unforgettable. And again, while it's, it's, it's certainly muted by today's horror movie standards. uh, It's, it's sort of fascinating and fun to, to look back and read that people lost their shit with this movie. And, And, you know, even though it doesn't frighten me or I'm not, you know, running around screaming when I watch it, I could understand and, and and appreciate why this movie had such a such an impact because it is it, it is big it is grandiose and what is being presented again you put it in the in in the context of 1931 I mean I mean this would be 
like how Star Wars was for people in 1977, how Avatar and Avatar The Way of Water are for, for uh, modern audiences uh, today. There's just something about this this movie that it is larger than life. And, and, and you know, I, I'm always uh, cautious to say, oh, a movie has no flaws because sometimes I get flack for, uh, for, for saying that. But... This is one of those films where I don't I don't have an issue with it. I, I, it's not like oh well you could have added something here or taken this character out there. No, it, it is it is a perfect film, and it's a perfect film, and it's also a perfect horror film. And to tie into what I said at the beginning, I, I don't think films like The Exorcist. I don't think films like certainly Halloween which you all know I uh, hold very near and dear to my heart. I'm not sure any of these films that are iconic in their own right and, and part of the great genre of horror films, I'm not sure they would be possible without Frankenstein. I mean, Frankenstein, in many ways, crawled so Michael Myers and, and the like could walk. And I think, you know, it's... It, when people say, "Okay, where, where did horror begin? Where did where did it all start?" I mean, was it Nosferatu? Was it some of the, uh, the the silent films of the 1920s? Was it any German expression film? And certainly, those are all valid candidates and and, and notable uh, entries in, in the genre. But as far as I'm concerned, Universal did something right with with not only Frankenstein but Dracula, the Wolfman, the Mummy. The list goes on. They created characters that are, are frankly larger than life and that are ultimately ingrained in the in the pop culture zeitgeist. So whenever you, you write uh, you know, the line, it's alive. I mean, people automatically know what you're talking about. Even if they've never seen the particular film, it's so ingrained and steeped in our collective memories that we just know it. We know what it's referencing. Uh, when you, you see someone walking around uh, with, a, with a jacket with the arms too short and, and their, their hands stretched out, it doesn't matter. People automatically assume, up oh, Frankenstein. That's, that's somehow a reference to Frankenstein. And I think that, that these movies are the birth of, of modern horror movies. Uh, it, or, or frankly, in, in many ways, horror movies in, gen- in general, because the imagery, the iconography, the, the the character types that were born from these films have ultimately carried through to the present day. And again, while things have have changed and there's been developments and twists on the lore and and additions uh, which are welcome, everything goes back to, I believe. These films that started in 1931, and you, know, you have Dracula in February of 31. You have you have Frankenstein in November, and, and really from then it's just been a continued march of these films. And as a as a someone who appreciates them, as someone who enjoys them, it's great to go back and see, in many ways, where it all began because. At this particular juncture with Dracula, then later Frankenstein, Universal discovered that that you could make a lot of money with horror films, and of course, you know, money is always the always the game when it comes to to movie making. But 
uh, they, they discovered that there was an audience for it and that people were, were ready and willing to, to see these films and just the, the general intrigue and mystery. I mean, the fact that people were feigning and running around and they were cutting out scenes because it was offending people. I mean, you can't, you can't buy that kind of publicity and marketing and that just sort of all adds into the great lore and, and, and mystique of these films and, and they do feel timeless. They really, they, they hold up. I mean, I rewatched Dracula recently and it was the same reaction. These films are, are universal. They're everlasting. And I think it goes back to there's just something primal about wanting to be scared and, and to be you know, scared in a controlled environment. And of course, while these films are, are definitely tame compared to uh, films that would come later on and certainly modern day movies, uh, th- these are, these are special. They're, they're like discovering, uh, an old antique or something that you've locked up in a, in a, in a chest and forgotten about. But then once you find it again, you're, you're just dazzled and amazed by, by its wonder and, and, and beauty. And, and and these movies, I don't know. Th- this one in particular, it just it, it just fills me with a sense of, uh, in a way, nostalgia because you know, I'm brought back to uh, the 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 Christmas vacation when I discovered all of these films and and, and had them all uh, given to me as a as a gift that year and just you know just being just dazzled and amazed by by the effects and the characters and and the story and and, and you know while i i've certainly uh you know my uh, my my horror palette has uh, expanded uh in in in, uh, in recent years uh, i have nothing but but love and appreciation for these universal films these universal horror films they are uh they are iconic and and Karloff, I mean, he has earned he earned his place in in the horror canon a long, long time ago. But it, it was just fun and enjoyable to go back and and to revisit this film. And again, kind of just just gets me more amped and excited for for Renfield, which is certainly again, a, you know, it's a modern movie, but it's it's so steeped in the history of Universal horror, and and you know, it just it, it, it's. Seems to be horror is is having a moment, and certainly in 1931, throughout the 30s, horror was was having its its original moment, its inception, if you will, entering the the public conscious, the public movie going conscious, and and while there are cycles, everything uh, comes and goes. Horror movies are always are always with us, and I think you know partly because there is that. Um, what shall I say? It's the uh, the affordability, if you will, to make these films. They often don't cost a lot to make, and you can you can put them out and 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 market them for very little. And and there's always going to be an audience. People are always going to want to go see a horror movie because, as I said earlier, we like to be scared. We like to be scared in a controlled environment. There's something primal about it. And you, know, you take a movie like Frankenstein, which on the one hand is is this terrifying quote unquote monster movie. But it's also something much, much bigger than that, and, and it, it explores sort of questions we have about ourselves or questions we have about life and death in, in general. And that's the fun thing about a horror movie is you can explore these concepts and ideas and, and make them interesting and intriguing. 
no one would ever want to go sit through a, a, a two-hour lecture on uh, on the uh, hypothesis of, of 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 what it means to be God or what it means to be uh, to to potentially create life. I mean, that that would just be. I think in a lot of ways, I'm mean, again speaking for myself, but I don't think it would be engaging and, and certainly, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, arousing in terms of uh, uh, mental stimulation. But you know, you go and watch a movie that that's thrilling and has its you know moments of cheers and and and, and terror, and but yet also is able to present these sort of interesting hypotheses and and, and questions. I mean, that's that's perfect. That's why. I've said it before. That's why I love movies because you can do so much with them and, and and address so many interesting topics and ideas that you otherwise couldn't. And even in other films, the ideas that are presented in horror movies and this in this in the subtext and the subjects and the uh, you know, different matters and 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 topics of religion and and and, and sexuality, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They're they're not you you, can, you don't always uh, achieve the desired result if you will if you were to say tell these stories in, in the form of a of a two hour drama or 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 even in a uh, an, uh, an action film or some kind of a procedural movie horror allows you to sort of address and and answer potentially these these questions and ideas but to do it in a way that it almost subverts the audience's expectation of what they're saying horror is so powerful and they were i mean this was going all the way back to 1931 i mean this is not just a oh a cool monster movie with 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 great effects and and some terrific performances i mean it is all that but there's also a bigger question here and it kind of you know again goes back to in many ways to tie it into the novel what Mary Shelley was was talking about when she wrote the novel that it, you know what what does it mean to be God what does it mean to to be human what does it mean to be here what is our role what is our place and again these are these are fascinating larger than life topics but kind of distilling them down uh, in, into a basic question if you will and presenting it into the course uh, over the course of a you know in this case a seventy minute movie it, it just makes it all the more worthwhile. And, and entertaining, and then it ultimately stays with you. And, and I, I'll certainly try to get to the to the bride of Frankenstein because I mean, if you ever want to talk about a film that truly, in many ways, surpasses the original, the Bride of Frankenstein stands out as not only one of the great uh, sequels of all time, but arguably one of the greatest films of all time. I and mean, taking all the right elements from the first film and then just magnifying it tenfold and, and telling uh, an even more compelling and engaging story but that's that's for another day uh, to just kind of put a put a put a put a bow on on Frankenstein this is the movie that started it all I mean as I said Franken the monster crawled so Michael Myers could could walk and I and you know, certainly there's a there's a lot of uh, daylight, if you will, or, or nighttime, depending how you look at it, from Frankenstein to to, to Halloween, or, or even uh, take a film like, say, The Black Phone or or uh, X or Pearl. In a lot of ways, the, these movies owe a great deal to to Frankenstein, and you know, particularly, I go back to to Halloween. Just the idea of this monster as a as a as a Creature, something that was silent and and hulking and stalking and terrifying the innocent. You know that's that's how you get Michael. That's how you get Jason. That's how you get Freddy. All these classic icons, and it had to start somewhere. It all 
It all it all goes back to Frankenstein, and I think sort of our modern perception, all the cliches, all the uh, the tropes, if you will, the uh, the iconography, the imagery, everything originates right here with with the original Frankenstein film, and it's it's just an absolute delight and a delight. And I I say if you haven't seen it, this is this is definitely a movie to watch. I mean, it's not long; it's about seventy minutes in length, but it, it's it's such a beautifully made film. The performances are phenomenal. I mean, especially given that this was 1931, it, it, it's just incredible to watch Karloff and and, and uh, Clive square off as 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 the monster and, and and creator, and and just as a part of sort of pop culture and sort of as a as an icon in the horror genre, you know, everything ties back in a lot of ways to Frankenstein. So it's it's definitely worthwhile checking out if you haven't seen it. And, of course, if these movies are uh, your cup of tea. But I, I would still recommend checking it out because there are certain films which I think transcend the genre and, and are just all-around great films. And, and Frankenstein, for me, falls right into that category. So... That uh, that concludes today's episode, uh, the uh, first of what will be a few covering the Universal Monster films. Next up will be Dracula. So uh, in anticipation for Renfield, look for Dracula next week. Hope you enjoyed uh, today where I revisited and shared some thoughts on Frankenstein. Definitely will be covering some more of these uh, classic, classic horror films in the weeks ahead. And uh, lastly, just to give a quick plug and a shout out, if you have not done so already, follow along DC Unlimited. That is the other podcast that I co-host with my two friends, Anthony Caruso and Chris Evans, both of whom have been on the show in the past. Give us a follow where we cover all things DC. So if Batman, Superman, comic book movies are your uh, are your thing, that is a that is a show you should be following along. We drop episodes every two weeks, and uh, we're just having a blast talking talking about uh, all things uh, Batman, Superman, and the work. So uh, look for a new episode in in your feed shortly. But in any event, everybody, thank you as always for tuning in each week and hearing what I have to say for movies. I'll be back next week, and we'll do this all over again for the love of movies.